listening to the Dopos podcast. Adam Doe here. Matt Hanneth is back, friend of the podcast. Joe Biden is uh, going to be the president-elect of the United States, Matt. Um, I don't know who you voted for, but I feel like everybody, for everybody, this is a, a release from the last four years of just something crazy happening every week, it seems like. Oh, definitely. I mean, as if an election wasn't stressful enough to have it kind of strung out across multiple days like this, I'm sure it's been eating at everyone. I've been binging CNN, as I've been telling my friends, if that's even possible to say, Matt. Um, I'm a new fan of John King. I love John (laughs) King. I've I've watched him for so many hours during the past couple of days. Um, The magic wall from CNN, I'm entranced by it. I mean, that man was so wired and just on everything. I'm surprised he wasn't getting some PEDs off stage. Yeah. You know, he, there were like, I, I, I've, I've watched so many times where like every time he would stutter, I would notice it because he doesn't do, he doesn't stutter that much. But then you realize that this guy has not been sleeping for the, the whole week. So he's allowed some stutters, I think. To keep his composure like that has been incredible. I don't know what he's running on, but I'm sure he's taken about a three-week vacation right about now. It looks easy watching him do it, but you have to know so much about different counties in every state, and you have to be able to comment on them, which is incredible. Yeah, and I feel like everyone kind of says, oh, well, he has someone talking in his ear. But for me, that's throwing me off even more. I mean, I think he's just going off of historical knowledge and having done this for so long. Yeah, I I was looking up, like, trying to find interviews with him. And apparently he he did writing first, print journalism first, and then he made the move to TV. But he he's a big traveler, apparently, and he loves to travel to different counties to learn about places. And that's how he can talk about all of this. He'd be a pretty good tour guide, actually. I might I might sign up for a show with him. He's a big sports fan, also from my from my extensive research. He's a Boston Red Sox fan. He's uh, I'm guessing a Celtics fan, and then also um, a Patriots fan. So big Boston guy. Yeah, I think I liked him a little more before you told me that, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk baseball with Matt. He's a big Dodgers fan. I think the Dodgers win meant a lot more to him than it did to me, but I, I still loved it. I still love a win for LA win number two. Um, but uh, I found out last night, Matt is the newest inductee into the, the, the brotherhood of ethernet users. I feel like during these virtual times, most people don't know a lot about the technology they're using to get internet and I feel like a simple solution for everybody is just to get closer to their router. But then the next step up is to like connect to your router directly via an ethernet wire. And that's all it is. It's just, you're, you're you're having a wire that's giving you internet. Um, How's life been with uh, this advanced technology? You know, it feels like I've achieved a new state of being. I think that in a time where, you know, I work all day on my laptop, hop off work and then get on my personal laptop just having that little bit of increased speed has been a a life changer so it's basically you know you just get a little faster speeds potentially depending on where you are and other factors and a lot more stable you don't probably don't lag anymore um zoom calls are probably you know a lot better for you i'm guessing 
Yeah, I was getting to the point where people I was talking to started to sound like robots every once in a while. So it was nice to clear that up. Yeah, you sound great. And your video is looking great on Zoom right now. Um, so how, how uh, so Matt, you graduated like in June of 2020, and I'm set to graduate June of 2021. And there's a good chance we both won't be walking the stage or whatever, or going to any graduation ceremonies. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, obviously, fingers crossed that your graduation is a little bit different than mine. But uh, I think it really told me a lot about what I actually value. Like, I think just seeing the diploma and understanding what we've achieved meant a lot more than kind of the symbolism of actually walking. I don't know how much you value kind of things like that. I'm slowly, you know, the more the more distant I have to be away from people, the more I'm really like dreading the idea that I won't get to go to graduation. Like, I just want to sit with people. I'm at that point Mm -hmm. right now, Matt. Yeah, I think I'd be a little more amicable to that if it wasn't uh, Irvine in June or July, but it'd still be a good time. I wonder if like, like this is, if what people are saying is true about COVID going multiple years. So then how, how would they even organize like graduation ceremonies for people that didn't get one? Like, are we just going to have one big one in like five years? Like, hey, if you were in 2020, 2021, 2022, just like show up. You know, I saw a Florida high school doing a jet ski graduation. And uh, if we can get some kind of two for one deal, I would be more than game. But then again, like, I think we everybody just knows a lot more about how COVID works. So I think you know, instead of doing one big school ceremony, I think it makes sense if you do like major, uh, major graduations. So all the econ people together and then outside and socially distanced. So. Yeah, definitely. And I think I want to say our school, the school of social sciences was 7,000. So I think dividing it further would uh, be very beneficial. I think, I think you just keep dividing, right? Like just divide business econ and then just regular econ. Honestly, it might be eye-opening just to see what a big percentage our major was out of our school. I feel like everyone we met was uh, along our lines. Yeah. So you're, you're doing, you know, risk assurance work for an accounting firm in Orange County or LA County, somewhere between? Yeah, uh, mostly based out of downtown LA. Yeah. So all virtual, uh, you're one of the lucky ones with the, that got with, uh, got a full-time job after graduation and, you know, still kept it. Um, how, how's that been? Like just Excel work all day on your work laptop meetings. You know, it, a lot of it has been exactly what you said. I've just kind of been so like thankful and grateful that I was able to stick with a job afterwards. I saw so many people lose internships, lose offers that I was really just grateful to kind of be hanging on to something when uh, the wind started blowing. But it's been really great. Um, I also interned with the company that I'm working with now. So I think that getting to meet people before going full virtual was really helpful. It's been really bizarre semi meeting people and then, you know, interacting with them in different ways. But I feel like having that basis of knowing someone in person and then moving online is a lot easier. So I can definitely see how it's so difficult for people I know who are going into a brand new situation, all virtual. Yeah. Any virtual like happy hours they organize for, for, for employees? 
Yeah, you know, they've been really nice. Um, we've had a couple Among Us virtual happy hours, which I would argue are a little more divisive. I think they might uh, drive us apart more than they bring us together, but it's been a good time. Yeah. Okay, so work's going great for you. Now, the more important thing is sports, like sports life in LA. It's going amazing. We still, you know, I, I hope they, if they do a parade together, by the way, I think productivity in LA will be like very, very low for however long that parade is with the Lakers celebrating with the Dodgers together. Yeah. That's um, gotta be a citywide holiday, right? Nobody's going into work. Yeah. More. I just find it so fascinating that in a pandemic, like people will still go out and just do donuts around Staples center <laughs> in their cars um, not safe, but if you're there, not safe if you're there, but very entertaining to watch if you're watching from home. I was shocked we still had people showing up at Dodger Stadium to trash the Astros fans whenever they came into town. Big props for whoever has the motivation to keep doing that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, the more I learn about baseball and the Astros scandal, the more, the more I realize like, like even saying that that the Astros got a slap on the wrist would be like still an overstatement apparently. And they didn't even get that. Yeah. I think a lot of that was difficult just because it's very hard to apportion blame to the players themselves. But I definitely think that the organization um, got a slap on the wrist. There's some language in like the MLB rules that limit the amount of money that a team can be fined. So I think it was $5 million, which I mean, to a team like the Astros and a big market is just nothing. So I think at the end of the day, people were just upset about that. And then recently the managers and general manager who got fired have also been interviewed and granted new jobs. So it just kind of looks like they took a year off and then jumped right back where they were. Yeah. Just to be clear, how long have you been watching the Dodgers? How many games have you been to in your life? Just to, we need to measure your, like, how hardcore this fandom is for you. Oh, goodness. Uh, I mean, my first game must have been when I was, like, t-ball age. I'm sure it was five or six. Uh, growing up, I always had one uncle who would take me to Dodger games and one uncle who would take me to Angels games. So while I always put on a nice smile and appreciated it, definitely enjoyed the Dodger games more. Um, but when I really committed was probably in high school, just because I was around so many people who were watching regular season games. I think that's where I really took the dive and committed myself as a fan. Yeah. Any, so apart from like, obviously winning this year, like tell me about what are some highlights in your Lakers, like fandom that stood out? Like if, if winning the World Series in 2020 is the best, what's the second best moment in your fandom? You know, I think what I would have to say is kind of earlier on, I want to say it was 2017. Um, there was a year where we were just kind of down on our luck. I mean, the Dodgers have won a crazy amount of um, division titles for the past, you know, half decade or more. Um, there was one year where it was looking like we were going to break that streak and, you know, it was just kind of a throwaway season. And then they went on, I want to say it was a 51-9 and nine run, like just an unbelievable record down the stretch, went into the postseason crazy hot. And it was just one of those moments that as a fan, like makes you believe every year, you know, like it gives you some insight into how like Kings fans and Cubs fans make it through every year because you never know with sports. Like that's what makes it so exciting is 
all of a sudden someone could get really hot and the tables flip. Going back to like 2017 Astros, when did the cheating like really start from the Astros? Like, was it the entire World Series or just the last couple of games? Yeah, so it mostly occurred during the regular season. Um, I think it was a little bit harder to conduct in the playoffs just because there's a lot more going on. There's a lot more noise. Um, So I don't know how much you know about it, but just to kind of get you up to speed, what they would do is they had someone operating the center field camera, which has a perfect view of the catcher throwing down signs. So there would be a player standing behind the dugout in the tunnel watching the live view of that camera. And whenever he saw uh, an off-speed pitch being called, so curveball, changeup, anything like that, um, he would start banging a trash can to alert the hitter, um, usually just to take the pitch. So everyone was pretty upset about that. Obviously, it's a huge competitive advantage. And I want to say it took place all 2017 during the 2017 World Series and then throughout 2018 as well. They did this for an entire season? Yeah, it's honestly shocking they didn't get caught because you can go look it up online. Um, John Boy has some good videos, but you can just, if you're watching the game, you can hear banging. People just never put it together. And then as soon as the reports came out, people started splicing clip after clip together where it's just crystal clear what's going on. I remember you showing me a video, but I I didn't know that they, they were doing this for an entire season and the World Series and playoffs. Yeah, um, it was pretty wild what they were able to get away with. But I think what enraged fans even more was just how callous and cocky they were when they got caught. You know, they never really apologized. They kind of acted like they still had a chip on their shoulder and that really rubbed fans the wrong way. Yeah. So apart from this one year where obviously the Dodgers were disadvantaged from the cheating, but... And I know, I know it's harder to explain why things happen the way they happen in baseball, but like, give, can, can you give like a summary of the other years that the Dodgers got to the World Series and then, you know, they just didn't, didn't uh, finish it through? Yeah, so we've been to, I believe, three of the past four World Series, which is kind of crazy that we only walked away with one. Very grateful for the one, but uh, heartbreaking the other three times, or the other two times, excuse me. Um, But the narrative would definitely be Kershaw having really rough runs during the postseason and uh, Dave Roberts either mismanaging the bullpen or the bullpen kind of falling apart. Um, I think that that gets overstated over some offensive droughts that took place during those series. But I think just more the sentiment was every time we had a great run, we got up right to the door of the World Series and it just felt like the wheels fell apart. You know, it was never really one thing that overwhelmed us. It was just guys weren't hitting and the pitching wasn't working out and just all kinds of things coming in at once. So it, it felt like a really long season, a whole run up to the World Series and then a big disappointment at the end. Now that I think about it in baseball, it's if you're a fan, like it's really hard for you to root for just one player, right? Like I could root for Kershaw, but then I'm not going to see him every single game. Um uh, every I'll see him every other three or four days, right? And but then in basketball, like you'll see LeBron James every time um, they play somebody, right? And I feel like that's what makes marketing so much more difficult. Like as someone coming from your perspective, who's kind of getting into baseball, it's harder to grasp onto those players because even an everyday player in the lineup, he bats 
once every nine plate appearances, takes days off, gets hurt sometimes. You just, they aren't as available as, you know, the five guys who are always on the court during basketball games. I was learning the the new, like some new names during these World Series. So my my favorite players are probably going to be Mookie Betts, Julio Arias, and Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger is like the Matthew McConaughey of baseball. He has that like that <laughs> that same look, that same um, southern midwestern look that Matthew McConaughey has. He does. He's one of those guys that just exudes confidence. You got a you got a heck of a trio there. I'm I'm curious to to know if there's a video out there of him doing like the all right, all right, all. He he has the potential, <laughs> Matt. I wouldn't be surprised at all. He does a lot of very cringy ads on the side, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of them. So on the Dodgers roster, let, let me know if I'm getting this right, but like Kershaw and Justin Turner, they've been like, they're the longest, right? And every everybody else, they, they were either drafted a long time ago, but then they just uh, got brought up in the last couple of years. Yeah, you've got that pretty much dead to rights. Um, what I would say is like the new core, which would be like uh, Seeger, Jock, Bellinger. Um, they, and I guess Will Smith's a little bit later. Austin Barnes came up with them too. They've probably been together the last two to three years, I'd say. So that's really what makes things exciting for us as fans is that they're so young and still kind of just hitting their strides. So there's a lot more to come. And then I know the CBA, if there even is a CBA in Major League Baseball, I don't know. But the, it's way different than the NBA. And then apparently teams can just spend like as much as they freaking want, just like the Dodgers did. And smaller teams like the Tampa Bay uh, Rays, they you know had to find other ways to get to the World Series. But how did what what happened with the Mookie Betts scenario where you know they got they. For some reason, his previous team with the Boston Red Sox, I think they just decided to trade him to the Dodgers. What happened there? Yeah. um, First to hit on a point about the baseball version of the CBA and kind of salary and payroll that blew my mind was the entire Tampa Bay roster cost less than Kershaw and Betts cost for the Dodgers this year. And that really put things in perspective for me about how small, how much small markets have to overcome. That's like 25 players, right? If I'm getting that right. So 25 players. Okay. Yep. And I think that just shows what a crazily good run organization the, uh, the Rays are, but to get back to the Mookie Betts trade. um, So one thing that makes a big difference between baseball and basketball is basketball. One off season can change your whole outlook, right? Like the Lakers horrible seasons. We had a little glimmer of hope. And then all of a sudden we have LeBron James and AD and now we're in the finals. Um, the issue with baseball is there's so many more players, so many more pieces that it's really hard to change your fortunes that quickly. So they teams tend to go through much longer cycles. Um, and the Red Sox kind of had this old remnant of the 2014 team, the 2017 team. Um, and they had a lot of older kind of overpriced players, like David Price was one of the guys included. So the trade was Mookie Betts and David Price, plus some cash to pay for David Price's salary for a Dodgers outfielder named Verdugo, who is really good, a really good shortstop prospect and a pretty good catching prospect. So kind of half of that was a salary dump. They were just trying to get off of David Price's contract. It was like 
90 million over three years, which you can kind of equate that to NBA. That's like max contract level. That's about as much as you'll get paid. So really it was them understanding that they wouldn't be able to keep Mookie because they didn't really have much of a future. He probably indicated that he wasn't going to resign. So they took what was really a subpar haul just to get off of some money and get some new talent in. And it worked out very, very well for the Dodgers so far. Okay. So it was more like a financial situation with the Red Sox. It wasn't like, uh, you know, we don't believe in Mookie bets anymore. So we, we want to get rid of him. No, not at all. You're exactly right. Um, if anything, it was more Mookie saying he didn't believe in the Red Sox's future. Hmm. Um, I, I, I did like, I remember reading an article about Mookie and apparently he was named in an attempt to get his initials to be the MLB. So his middle name is like L something and then MLB. Yeah, that it's crazy how things work out. Things like that work out, isn't it? Yeah. So I used to think that when you're like, I'm, I'm talking in elementary school, middle school, when you're, you're playing um, kickball and you're like in the outfield, that the job is like fairly easy where you just like watch the ball go up and then you just catch it and then you just throw it. And then I used to think that for baseball too, until I saw like the world series. Um, so obviously if the ball just goes super high, like you just watch it and then you catch it. Right. And then that's an out. That's the easy part, but then is the hard part where, um, where you know we had a couple of plays where Mookie had to like really time his like jumps and whatever, and and prevent the ball from going um, out the ballpark. Is that where like the challenge is? Yeah, I mean those are so rare, and it was really cool to see so many happen during the playoff run. But uh, yeah, robbing a home run is easily one of the hardest things you're going to have to do as an outfielder, just from timing it, tracking it, uh, make sure you don't run into the wall while you're chasing it. There's just so much going on, and I think that that really showed like how much defensive value that Mookie can provide too. I learned a lot just from the commentators because um, they were saying that some players they jump too late so then they do end up hitting the wall but then Mookie on most of the plays he made he jumped right before he got to the wall so then as he was he was jumping upwards and then as he caught the ball he also hit the wall so that everything just played out perfectly that that's to sum it up as a Mookie Betts defense exactly and I mean as someone who's already so athletically talented there were a few reports where uh the World Series, and I believe the NLCS as well, were played at the new Rangers Stadium. Um, and there were reports that Mookie was out there for hours, just throwing balls against the wall, watching balls get hit, like really honing in his craft. So he felt like he was at home in that outfield. And uh, it definitely showed. I know that in baseball, there's, you know, about five characteristics or skills that you need to play well in baseball. So would Mookie's like primary skills be that he can he's fast he can steal bases he can play defense he can um, hit with power is there anything else I'm missing yeah so the typical five tools and I would consider Mookie Betts a five tool player they're hitting for contact which means you put the ball in play a lot hitting for power which is home runs doubles triples uh, your ability to run so his speed obviously super fast your defense um, and then your fielding, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, your fielding and your defense are the same thing. 
Um, but yeah, Mookie Betts definitely has all of the five tools. And uh, it, it was really crazy just to see how much of like the normally things that we would call intangible, like his ability to score on an infield uh, ground ball from third base and just little places like that where he could really add value on the margins definitely showed. Does that happen a lot in a World Series where Mookie can just steal bases like that or steal like two bases in a row? You know, it's becoming a lot less common. Um, oh, and to go back, I was forgetting uh, arm strength. Your ability oh. to throw is uh, one of them as well. But um, yeah, his just his ability to like take bases like that is becoming much less common um, as sabermetrics have progressed. Just the value proposition of a steal has gotten lower and lower. Um, as the league has moved more towards home runs and power hitting, it's much less valuable to move up a base when, you know, a home run scores you from any base anyways. Um, but I mean, he just took over the base paths. It was unbelievable. And that put so much more pressure on the pitcher and a lot of other things that just put the Dodgers in a better position to succeed. Okay. So I didn't know Mookie Betts was like a five tool player. I thought, I thought he was like missing something, but He's, now that you flip. Yeah, he's a little lower in the power department, but he's he's always had enough of that that I would I would consider him five tool. Okay. Moving like inwards on the, the field. Um why why is it that like some bases are are harder to play than others or some positions like shortstop are are, are harder to play than others? Yeah, um so kind of the most simple way to think about it is that first and third base are the closest you'll get to the plate. So those guys just have a lot of quick twitch. You know, they usually take one step and dive for the ball, whereas shortstop and second base are a little bit further away from the plate. So they're able to cover a lot more ground. Um, and then once you take into account where the shortstop actually plays, it's also the furthest, furthest throw. And the shortstop is also most often involved in double plays. So there's just a lot more responsibility. Uh, your shortstop is usually the one relaying throws from the outfield. So they really have to be mobile, high IQ, and have a really good uh, arm. So there's just a lot going on. There's usually more responsibility there. So kind of the stereotype is that the shortstop is your uh, best athlete out there. Yeah. Um, Justin Turner, wh what, what are his like primary skills on the field? Uh, he's like slightly above average on defense. He, he makes it look really nice. He'll, uh, he'll make some pretty plays every once in a while, but definitely a power hitter. And just one of those guys who is consistently a threat in the middle of the lineup. So a lot of that just produces value over the course of, you know, a long season. And then compared to Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, is he, you know, just as good fielding as, as Mookie and, just as good with like hitting maybe not as fast though right you know they're actually really close I always forget that but there are some balls that Bellinger will hit and he'll just be hauling down the base paths and I forget that he's as quick as he is um so he won the NL MVP the year before Mookie won his AL MVP and I would say just off the top of my head they were pretty similar offensive seasons the only difference is Mookie has a longer track record of hitting at that level where Bellinger, you know, had a bit of a down year this year. Um, on defense, it's pretty close as well. I would say Mookie is better at his position, but Bellinger plays center field, which is typically a, a more difficult position where you have a lot more ground to cover. 
So it's pretty close, but I'd I'd give the defensive edge to Mookie there. Hmm. Okay. And then I noticed so Jock Peterson, Corey Seager, Will Smith. I I rec- I will recognize their names if I ever see them again in the future, but I don't know them as well. Um just so Justin Turner, I noticed that he's like 35, I think, or 33. Is that typical in baseball where you can play that long? Yeah, I would say like the steeper drop-off happens a little bit later than a sport like basketball, just because so much of baseball is more skill-based than athleticism. You know, just having that swing will get you pretty far as opposed to basketball where you really need to be explosive and things like that. Um, I would say the oldest you see guys really play is like 36, 37, 38, unless you get someone crazy like uh, Ichiro who played until he was like 42. I mean, there's some outliers like that, but uh, he's definitely getting up there. What are, uh, what are the baseball circles? Um, what are they saying about him and, you know, going out in the field to celebrate after he tested positive for COVID? Yeah, you know, I I think it's a real shame all around. Um, The initial look was obviously really bad for Justin Turner. And of course, you know, it wasn't the right decision. I think that he would admit that later on. Um, But a lot of reporting has come out. MLB put out a report and he put out a statement that really showed that there was a lot of chaos going on. So once he got taken off the field, um, he was told several different things. At one point, he was told other members of his team has t- tested positive and that they were outside. So he thought that he could go mingle with them. Uh, at other points, employees had made it more evident that he would be allowed to go outside and no one really told him that he couldn't. So he just really wasn't sure what was going on at a few different points. And I think that the general sentiment was that most of the team said, hey, you know what? We've been playing with him. We're already exposed. We're okay with seeing him. But really the issue is that it wasn't fair to the staff and media members who didn't have that choice in whether or not they were exposed. Um, so no punishment was put down, but it was really just a botched uh, situation on all sides. What really confused me was the tweet that he sent out saying that he wouldn't be out there to celebrate, but then pictures show that he was out there to celebrate. Yeah, that was really bizarre. And I think that one thing that that told me a lot about was just how much more poorly run the MLB bubble was than the NBA bubble. I mean, it felt like that one went off without a hitch. And then, of course, at the 11th hour, the MLB one has its biggest uh, controversy of the year. Yeah. Um, fun fact, the one of my classes, it's, it's baseball and sociology. And I'm trying to write a paper actually about the World Series scandal in 1919 with the Black Sox, if, you, if you've ever heard of it. Where, oh, yeah. Very interesting one. Yeah. So I'm just trying to write about how that was an example of crime in baseball and how crime actually helped baseball evolve. And anyways, that's not, that's not the topic of this <laughs> conversation, but um, World Series scandals are pretty interesting to learn about. Mm-hmm. And actually, on the topic of the World Series, as someone who this was, I assume this was your first World Series where you really paid attention and followed what was going on. What really stood out to you or what questions did you have after watching it? <sighs> so many questions about baseball. Every time I watch, there's I always wonder about something. But what I wanted to like ask about today was like, like the different types of pitches, like um, what there's so many types and like how, if to your estimate, like how many types are there really? 
I would say, I mean, you could go very simplistic and say there's two categories, which is fastball and off speed. Um, but to break it down more, I would say there's probably four main types. That would be fastball, changeup, curveball, slider. And then there are some rare instances where you get into uh, splitters and then just variations of some of the other pitches. And then, of course, you've always got the knuckleball that's just out there kind of doing its own thing. I have no idea what you just said, but I, when you say variation, like um, th- would would like the way that a pitcher throws like add to that variation? Like if like I saw some pitch, some relief pitchers that just threw like really like wildly. Yeah. So I would say the two biggest things that affect the way a pitch is thrown is the grip on the baseball, as well as kind of the axis that the pitcher moves in. A lot of the funky deliveries you'll get into is really more about deception and then kind of how they move their arm in relation to the ball puts different spin on it. I think, I think it might be Blake Snell on the raise. Not sure, but uh, they had one pitcher where I I remember the commentary was that um, when he releases the pitch, his front leg is like significantly further, like closer to the, 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 the batter than other pitchers. So that, um, I think his point was that when he throws the ball, it, it's starting point is a lot closer to the batter than other pitchers, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And one kind of fun quirk we always get every year is there's the uh, little league world series each year. And in that the mound is so much closer and they'll translate the speeds to what it would be like on a major league mound. And there are 12 year olds facing the equivalent of like 105 miles an hour. It's just wild. What little factors like that can change. Okay, so speaking of like pitching speeds and and whatever, if you're so, how possible is it really to be able to hit like a over a hundred mile per hour um, pitch? Yeah, um, I would say as velocity increases, obviously your reaction time decreases, your ability to track the ball decreases. So the faster it's traveling, the more guessing you end up doing. Um, the only kind of redeeming factor is that in order to throw it that hard, it usually has to be straight. Um, That's why you see guys like Dustin May who can throw that hard and have movement succeed. But if it's going that fast and that straight, it's usually fairly hittable just because the hitter has a decent estimate of where it's going to be. And then once you add movement is where you can uh, really start striking guys out. Okay. So then like, I think, Kershaw's best game which was game one I think um I remember watching how he pitched and it seemed like every time he threw he either just got it like dead set in the middle and the batter just like didn't feel confident in hitting that or he just barely touched the lines of Mm -hmm. the the frame yeah pretty sure I got that term right the frame um are there a lot of pitchers like Kershaw? Like, am I, what, what I described, like, does that happen a lot where a pitcher is just that great in a game? Yeah, I would say so. Um, usually a pitcher's goal is to kind of live out on the edges of the zone, but uh, Kershaw is kind of an interesting case because he used to have a lot of just that raw, like athleticism and he could throw, you know, 95, 96, 97. So he had the ability to just throw it by guys. 
Um, so usually the harder you throw, the more confident you are throwing in the middle of the zone, just because you have added assurance that the hitter won't be able to make contact. But Kershaw has been really interesting because over the years we've seen him adapt to throwing, you know, closer to 91, 92 miles an hour with his fastball and his ability to throw usually three different pitches. Yes, his fastball, his slider, which is kind of a tight breaking off speed and then a big loopy curveball. Just his ability to throw all of those four strikes causes hitters to usually pick one. So a lot of times a hitter, instead of trying to guess, uh, once they see a pitch, they'll say, okay, if it's a fastball in this area, I'll swing. And they've made up their minds before they've uh, stepped in the box. So his ability to kind of keep them off balance with so many different pitches lets them get away with some pitches down the middle like you were talking about. In game five, I think. Game five or... It was the, the, the game where um, somebody on the Rays, I can't remember if it was a Rosarena or another, another one, but they tried stealing home, home plate when Kershaw had his back turned to them. And it was Max Muncy who was like signaling to Kershaw that um, like, like really like somebody's trying to steal. Is that basically what happened there? Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, that's kind of a move made very famous by Jackie Robinson. So it has a bit of a Dodgers tie back. But yeah, stealing home is very difficult thing to do. But that's exactly when a player will do it is when uh, you have a lefty on the mound. So they're facing away from third base and can't see what's going on. And then they're kind of banking that it'll take so long to deliver the pitch that you can beat the ball to the plate. Right. So, and then I know another factor was that there weren't a lot of as many fans so that's how Kershaw, you know, may have been able to hear Muncie like tell him that somebody's trying to steal. Um, so then, in a normal situation, though, like just wondering if somebody really did try to steal um, home, then Kershaw would have had to get the the pitch to his catcher without the batter being able to hit, right? Because if the batter hit, then let me know if I'm on track here. Yeah, no, you got it. Uh, the batter, there's nothing keeping the batter from hitting, but if he knows that his teammate is stealing, he is going to not swing. Um, so you kind of have two choices. If you know he's going early enough, you can step off of the mound and just throw it any way you want. But if you've started your delivery, you have to do kind of what Kershaw did and just rush it, which is usually where it causes panic. The throw goes wild, and that's a lot of times how you're hoping to sneak a run across. Okay, that's a new rule I didn't know about, like, whether or not you're on the mound or you're off the mound. Yeah, so without getting too into the minutia, um, once your foot is on what's called the rubber, which is that little white strip on top of the mound, um, there are certain rules about where you can step, what foot you can move first, but once you disengage from the rubber, you can just act like any other player. So a lot of times stealing, uh, different base running decisions, are predicated on the pitcher being on the rubber because they're restricted in their movement. Any reason why this rule exists? Uh, a lot of it's just to avoid deception. Um, if the pitcher could do whatever they want, you know, they could act like they were throwing a pitch to home, pretend like they didn't throw it, and then just throw someone out who's stealing. You know, it's really just oh, to yeah. kind of reduce chaos. Okay, I get it. Um, I, I personally, you know have much more respect for Arias than Kershaw because Arias like closed out 
two games, two games, World Series, uh, game six, and also game three or four, and also the 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 pennant for the NLCS. So, yeah, he was fantastic. I mean, he's always had so much talent, and this just felt like the year he really broke through and got the uh, recognition he deserved. How do they communicate with each other if you know his English isn't as good and he speaks Spanish fluently? You know, I, I at least have a lot of faith that there are a lot of players on the Dodgers who kind of worked backwards, you know, from uh, their perspective and tried to bridge the gap both ways. So I'm sure Julio's trying to learn some English, and I definitely have a lot of faith that other Dodgers were trying to learn some Spanish. Um, so I'm, I'm sure they're able to bridge that. I think also a lot of just very common baseball terms would be pretty easy to understand. Okay. So, and then we were talking um through text during the world series and i asked you to give me like your ranking for all the baseball i mean the the dodgers pitchers and you ranked walker bueller above clayton kershaw and all i know is that walker bueller is like really young still and he's fairly new to uh, the major leagues but like why why did you rank him over kershaw and i I just want to point out i i mentioned to you that day that kershaw was the like the only baseball player i knew in all of baseball and then you ranked um somebody above kershaw in the ranking and you previously before you you, you told me that i said that I, I i thought that kershaw was like the best pitcher ever in baseball yeah he's absolutely like first ballot hall of fame worthy um i just think that at this point a lot of what he is doing is based on his acumen and his just kind of know-how and moxie um, whereas Walker's pretty young, he's still coming up, and his, uh, what you would call stuff, so his actual pitches, um, just have more zip on them, have more bite on them, and they're more effective. So it's kind of that point where Kershaw's becoming like the wily old veteran who just kind of makes things work, whereas Walker is the guy with more talent at this point in his career. Got it, got it. Um, so... The Dodgers, they've been to the World Series three of the last four years. Has, has this ever happened in baseball where you show up in the World Series so many times like this? Uh, it's definitely not unprecedented, but I mean, going on a run like, you know, say the Warriors did in basketball is just not very common. It's usually a lot harder to keep a dynasty in baseball just because over a longer season, there's so much um, more room for error and injury and things like that to pop up, as well as just the randomness of guys getting hot and cold. Uh, baseball players seem a lot more inconsistent in their results than other sports. So I think that that's kind of why you don't see as many dynasties. There are definitely a few historically, but uh, nothing quite like runs like this, except uh, the Giants, maybe from 2012 to 2016. And looking towards the future, um, compared to the Lakers, um, do the Dodgers have to worry about replacing any major players for you know this offseason at all? Yeah, that's actually coming up this offseason and spilling into next offseason. Uh, baseball is pretty significantly different than a sport like basketball in that there's not quite a rookie scale contract. Um, they have a few years of team control, and then they enter into what's called arbitration where an independent third party will evaluate what your salary should be. And then the player and the team can either agree on that or negotiate from there. So it's a very bizarre process. Um, And then after that, 
I believe they go through that for maybe four years and then they enter true unrestricted free agency. Um, so the Dodgers have a few younger guys in arbitration and then uh, next season they'll have Corey Seager up for, for free agency. This year they have Jock Peterson up for free agency. Um, so there'll be a few pieces that they need to really lock down. But baseball is a little less chaotic than basketball in that players tend to stay with uh, their team, especially if they were drafted and found success there more often. Okay. Um, I've seen a lot of people say the Dodgers are still probably going to be winning, maybe not the World Series for the next couple of years, but like winning a lot. Would that be pretty true? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit more than wishful thinking. I'm definitely hoping for it, but I, I definitely think they have the team to continue the success for a while. Should we talk about Dave Roberts? You know, even though he managed to lead them to a win but uh so my from what i've seen from what i know it's just that he his whole um rep his whole rep to dodgers fans is that he's made not just one not just two but several key decisions in changing you know the pitch the pitcher or whatever and that would usually lead to them like losing the series is that pretty accurate yeah, I mean, you could find plenty of Dodger fans who could write you a, a manifesto on reasons they're ex- upset with Dave Roberts, but that's basically it. Um, a lot of people are upset with his pitching decisions, both deciding when to pull out a starter. Um, obviously, he kind of dodged that narrative because of Blake Snell being pulled so early by the Rays, um, so he didn't take any heat for that, and all the heat kind of got put on uh, Kevin Cash, but it's really his decisions of keeping in versus pulling starters and then deciding when to use uh, his bullpen pieces that really gets him in some hot water. I also heard about the Kenley Jansen situation where he just really loves Kenley Jansen, but then Kenley Jansen is not like amazing or something or his performance has dwindled. Yeah. It's really tough because there were so many years where that was what was so great about Kenley Jansen was anytime there was a close game in the ninth, if you were at Dodger Stadium, you knew his walkout song, California Love, was going to start playing and you knew he was going to shut him down and you were going to win. And that was the case for several years. And now he's struggled some more. And Dave Roberts really hasn't varied from his approach of just committing to using Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning. And that's been really frustrating because recently there have been some teams like the Cleveland Indians who found so much success by saying this is the best matchup for this pitcher. I don't care if it's the third inning or the seventh inning, we're going to use him now. Whereas Dave Roberts has kind of a rigidity where he says, Kenley Jansen pitches the ninth inning. That's the end of the story. And uh, he's, he's blown some saves since then. And it's really cost the Dodgers. Um, I learned a lot, Matt. Thanks for uh, helping me with this. Um, Looking, I really hope we can attend like the Lakers Dodgers parade in LA. Like, hopefully that can happen soon. But even if it happens like a year from now, like I think st- I still think a lot of people will show up and just like party out. Absolutely, I'm very much looking forward to it. All right, thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you.